Marco. And this is Mike. And this is Rock and Vino, the podcast where we talk about wine and music and food also, and how they all go so well together. <laughs> you can find past episodes all over the web. Find it in Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, the Google Play Store, because you definitely use the Google Play Store, uh, <laughs> rockandvino.com, social media, at rockandvino. Like and subscribe. And if you like the podcast, rate it. Because then maybe more people will find it. Five stars. Five stars. <laughs> Five stars. Five stars. <laughs> uh, new episodes every Tuesday. If you subscribe, they'll go right to you. So, a lot of fun. A lot of fun happening on this show. And uh, we have, I'm going to say, one of our most acclaimed chefs we've ever had in. Wow. It's, Round uh, of applause. <laughs> I just got a promotion. <laughs> uh, he is, uh, you know, from uh, Cyrus in Healdsburg. He's now got Roadhouse 29. He's got Healdsburg Bar and Grill. Uh, have your hands in lots of different things. It's, it's <laughs> Chef uh, Douglas Keene. Douglas, thanks for joining us. Uh, my pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So uh, let's start off. Uh, I mean, in general, just with your your background as a chef. I know, um, you know, some people go to culinary school to to get their experience, and then you uh, you went a different way. You you jumped. You you dove in head first. I did well. I, I went a back route way. I um I fell in love with cooking actually in high school. I went to a um, Catholic high school and. Dearborn, Michigan, Divine Child. And we actually had cooking classes, and I needed a date for prom. So I took the cooking classes with Sister Josephina. And so, um, but I loved it. And my mom was a great cook. And somehow in that time frame, I realized that I actually really liked to cook. I wanted to be good at something. And I was relatively good at that at that level at that point. So I decided that I was going to go to, um, I was going to cook, but I had a mentor who had different plans, and he said, You're going to go to hotel school. So he had me apply to a bunch of hotel schools, and I got in there, and I went to hotel school at Cornell in Ithaca, New York, but I was always drawn back to the kitchen. And at some point, kind of halfway through, I said, I think I'm going to leave and go to cooking school. Everyone said, no, 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 you're, you're just not going to do that. <laughs> and I said, no, I am, I think so, and thank God I didn't, because it didn't make any sense, but... Um, when you're 20 and stupid, you do <laughs> things. Um, so I kept cooking and cooking, but finished my degree there and then had some great advice from um, uh, a couple of professors and chefs at Cornell that said, um, you should actually go down to New York, just get beat up, get the shit kicked out of you, get yelled at, get screamed at and work your ass off and learn how to be fast and learn how to cook. And that's what I did. Because I was thinking at that point, maybe I should go to culinary school as well. And they said, no, 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 you've cooked enough at that point. And I think culinary school is not a bad thing for a lot of people, but it, it, it gives discipline to people coming out of like high school that have no discipline. But, but for like, cooking in the job, I know so many culinary students that come out of um, CIA or many of the other places in New York, and they can't even butcher a piece of fish. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, go down to New York and learn how to do it. And that's kind of what I did. I got lucky. I got some great mentors. And then, what were uh, what were some of your first stops once you sort of actually got going as a chef? What were some of your stops along the way? Yeah, and, I mean, Manhattan at that time, Manhattan was pretty much the only place to cook in the country at that level. San Francisco wasn't as good as it is now, and LA definitely wasn't as good. And so, I was kind of at the pinnacle. So, I, I was in a restaurant called The Four Seasons. I landed there, and I had no business being there. I couldn't even cook. I, I was just lucky to get there. <laughs> I was just getting yelled at. And, but I was willing to work hard. My parents taught me how to work hard, put my head down, and that's what I did. I had no beat. Like, I, they really should have fired me 25 times. But I loved it. And the, the addiction of the energy, the, the adrenaline that would run through you every night at service, it was just, uh, yeah, I, st- I still look back, and I kind of miss it, actually. Mm-hmm. Like, being good at just cooking a station, cooking a piece of fish, or working the oyster station, and just... Making people happy was was kind of um, 
kind of a draw to the business. But um, so I did Four Seasons for a while. Went to a few other places, Union Square Cafe, a place called Corolla's. And then I left New York. Uh, my father got sick back in Detroit. I went back to Detroit to take care of him for, for about uh, eight months, my brother and I did. And I, I had never cooked at a four-star restaurant. And so I had wanted to cook at this place called Les Benas that I was uh, fortunate to dine at before. And I went back and I was able to get a job at Les Benas. And so that moved me back to New York for a full year. And that was kind of my master's degree of cooking. It was just a genius. Uh, the chef was just, just brilliant as far as cooking goes. Management, I don't, you know, treat, <laughs> treating people. It, it was old school <laughs> New York. And, um, but the flavors that I learned and, and, and just the way the technique and the finesse and the cleanliness, it kind of actually set me up. That, that was really my master's degree in cooking. So then from there, I moved out to California. Uh, my brother and I had made a deal that um, at, uh, when we were back taking care of my father that we really liked being back together. We liked having the family back together. And so we said we're going to make it. And my mom moved out here to the uh, West Coast. She was in San Francisco, so we ended up in San Francisco. Or I did at first, and my brother eventually made it out here. Nice. Yeah. How did you like San Francisco compared to... Hated it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's that whole, like, West Coast, East Coast rivalry thing? Yeah, kinda. you know, I, one, I did... So, I was so sick of winter, so sick of snow, that I was like, yeah. okay, that actually was the final straw. I was walking down Madison Avenue at one point at 5 in the morning. I got hailed on. I was like, you know what? I'm done. Mm -hmm. I grew up in Detroit. I went to school in upstate, and now I'm, I'm sick of bad weather. So when I'm going to California, I mean, the weather out here in San Francisco was – there was no seasons, really. No. I mean, there was, <laughs> but it was cold, cold and yeah. wet. <laughs> so um, I hated it. The other thing that I hated, and I think it might be different now, is um, there was no cabs. There was no late night. In Manhattan, you're out till four thirty in the morning, mm -hmm. and so it was a big city. And yeah. here, it wasn't like a big city, so I, st I struggled. I struggled a lot, and also the food at that point in time was very um, bound by Chez Panisse rules. So mm. it was, you know, if you can buy a great tomato and a sharp set of knives, you can make a dish. And that th there's something to be said for that because there's there's a lot of part of this country that doesn't cook seasonally, doesn't cook mm -hmm. fresh, and doesn't cook um, w w with integrity, or, or didn't for a while. That's But San Francisco wasn't doing anything else. They weren't manipulating. They weren't giving you a reason to spend money, whereas New York was all about technique. So slowly, San Francisco is actually, in my opinion now, passed, surpassed New York, um, mm -hmm. whereas there's technique and the product is just it's it's irrefutable that it's just better out here. So it was kind of a treat to come out here and see the product, but I didn't love the food. Everyone was still like, you know, shape and ease. We don't do anything to the food. We just serve a lamb chop and it's perfect. Well, mm. yeah, but you can do that at home too, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to pay me or give me four stars or pay me 200 bucks to have my meal, I might as well do something for you. Give you something you can't do at home. So that, that was kind of my problem at that point in time. But I think there's now San Francisco is even better than New York, actually. Yeah. Wow. Now, in terms of having your own restaurant, was was Cyrus your first entry, or was it Hillsborough Bar and Grill before that? No, um, Market. Um, wow. So Nick and I, so I was at Jardinier. I had actually opened up Gary Denko's with Nick Payton, my business partner, and I realized that that was just such a bad experience. Um, Gary was just a dick. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I was like, you know, I'm, I'm out of here, and, and Nick was financially tied to it and I said to Nick um, you're the type of guy I would like to be a partner with in a restaurant so when I walked out the door um, he's, I said that to him and he's like well I don't know I'm, I'm, yeah I'm obviously going to get out of here but I'm not sure what I'm going to do 
So eventually, about a month later, he called and he said, okay, I'm ready to leave. And so we partnered up. Cyrus was the vision, but we didn't know where we were going to do it. So it wasn't the name that we had had, but mm-hmm. we, the, the high-end, four-star type of restaurant was what we both wanted to do. But we, so we found, we found the opportunity in Healdsburg with, with the family up there that was building it, but um, it was taking too long. So we opened up market in St. Helena because it was a casual uh, opportunity and we could open it and then eventually move out of it. So 2003, we opened market. And then 2005, uh, Cyrus happened. Nice. Now, I mean, for an experience like Cyrus, I mean, in, you can sort of compare it to single thread. And it was sort of single thread before single thread existed in terms of the, <laughs> the, the, the uh, you know, the multi-course kind of ex- dining experience. I mean, how much, how much planning do you have to put into that? Just creating an operation like that. I can't even imagine yeah, what an effort that is. Um, in response to that comment about single thread, <laughs> there was a, um, I think it was when the Michelin came out the first year in 2007. I think that was the article. It was in the Chronicle. And they said, um, we kept getting compared to the, we were the French Laundry of Sonoma. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. That was it. You were the French Laundry of Sonoma. And someone said, does that bother you at all? I said, no, not at all. I said, I hope in 10 years that there's someone saying there's a new Cyrus of Sonoma. And so, sure enough, I don't know, like a, yeah. a Nostradamus or something. We, we were closed, uh, single thread open, and all of a sudden they were the new Cyrus of Sonoma. And, um, you know, God bless for what they've done. They, they've just kind of elevated Sonoma even more. Um, not that it needed elevating, but just you know, people perfecting their craft to the very best. Um, there's a ton of planning that goes into it. It's exhausting. Um, it, it, at some point, it's a uh, vocation where you have to. Um, kind of dedicate yourself to that you're, you're you're already dedicated to the craft of cooking and dedicated to making it perfect but you're also dedicating to a lifestyle of everything is about the restaurant um mm-hmm. and so what kyle and his wife continue to do what, what they do is just you, you don't have a life you right, know, right. You're, you're, it is your life it is yeah. yeah it's your baby it's your everything and but it's your um, passion right so it's almost like i would imagine it's like it's your life, but it's also so rewarding and enjoyable that you kind of you can't live without it. Yeah, um, that's really accurate. Um, the problem with that is I'm learning out as I'm learning ten years out from the <laughs> opening of that is what what's what's really the reward? Mm-hmm. Is it ego mm-hmm. that you're stoking? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I know we all got into this business to make dinner for people and to make people happy, like. There's something intrinsically, like you having a good meal at our restaurant makes me happy. But there's also something to be said about you You earn these stars, you earn these awards, you earn this level um, that is addicting. And, and th- that gets mixed with passion. And, Definitely. And, and it's dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, and you, at some point you, um, you might be doing it just for that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of what I'm debating at the point at, at this point, you know, with the reopening or I guess non reopening of <laughs> yeah, Cyrus. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it was what I was debating with the reopening of Cyrus. Um, how is I going to manage that? Yeah. Because when you bring into the mix all of the um, the Michelins, the Chronicles, the Stars, all those types of thing, you bring in. Um, you cancer it a little bit. You. you mm-hmm. You go from making dinner for people and making them happy to if I get this next award, what's next? You know, mm-hmm. there's this famous chef um, in France. I'm sorry, I can't remember his name right now. There's, there's a great book about it. He was a three-star chef, or he had worked his whole life to get three stars, and when he got three stars, 
his like an hour later after he was having lunch celebrating, he's like, I wonder if they'd ever give a fourth star. <laughs> you know, and, and this guy actually ended up committing suicide because he oh, thought wow. he was going to lose his star. Oh, wow. You know, and no, but it's that intense. That's, totally, that's yeah. That's not that, that abnormal. I mean, that, that's extreme, but not abnormal. Yeah. So I think that, that that's the concern is um, what are you doing it for and what mm-hmm. are you sacrificing it for? Yeah. Um, hey. I was going to say, to some extent, it seems like, especially with the Michelin stars, there's kind of a, a blessing and a curse element of it. Where, I mean, you were saying before we started, um, you know, when Cyrus got its rating, the, just the immediate Im- impact you saw. But then the, the other byproduct of that is, like you said, the sort of the chase for more, I guess. So th- there's sort of both, both ends of it. Yeah, the chase for more. Um, and um, so, you, so how do I not lose one? Mm-hmm. That's even worse than mm-hmm. the chase for more. The chase for more is can I get my third? And so, I mean, at Cyrus, we we dumped easily a half a million dollars into a kitchen, a prep kitchen, so we could give we could make bread because we thought maybe that might help us get the third star. So we <laughs> we financed a half a million dollar kitchen. We staffed it. 16 hours a day to bake breads twice a night to give away for free. We didn't charge for bread. Wow. Right? So that was, you know, it's, did that make any sense? No, it didn't. Um, but we did it. it. But And that's okay because you, you pursue passion. You pursue trying to – getting better is not a bad thing, you know, if you're doing it for the right reasons. Whether, and that's our fault that we spent that money or, or maybe it's not. But, but the fear of losing a star – that's even worse than. That's yeah. even stronger than gaining another star. Do you almost obsess over just every individual guest experience having to be perfect in, in that same vein that like you, everyone has to leave happy? <laughs> yeah. Well, so that's a great question. Everyone leaving happy is, I think that's kind of genuine. Yeah. I think that's true. A legitimate, true. 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 Yeah. yeah. Like I, I want you to leave. Like you spent whether you're an inspector or not. I want you to have, actually, I don't care about the inspectors. I actually want you guys to come in and have your birthday dinner and have a great time because you gave me a lot of your money. Um, and that's, that's actually the art of cooking or the, 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 the beauty, the religion of cooking is to make people happy, to nourish them. The, the obsessing about perfection is certain people have it in their genes to obsess about perfection, and that's okay. And that was what we did. But then when you, when, when you cannibalize it with the ratings, I think that's when it gets a little bit messy. And there's, there's people that can handle it, you know? It's like, you know, to me, I stopped reading all the reviews about three or four years ago, any of the criticism, the reviews, because it was like getting cracked to an addict. Mm-hmm. I was just like, all right, I'm going to cut it out. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm no longer going to look at this stuff. Don't YouTube yourself or don't don't do, don't Google yourself. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. If, if it's that bad, then someone will tell me about it and I'll look at it. Mm-hmm. You know, it was odd name drop here. I think it was actually Guy Fieri that one time he was talking about his own press and because he gets a lot of you know good and bad or yeah. a lot of but he was saying that he doesn't read any of it because or even the good stuff he doesn't read because he has to you can't read only the good stuff you have to read all of it you know it you have to see the good with the bad so yeah. he's just he just doesn't read any of it and good just goes goes about his business and whatever people think they think so yeah. he's got a good business going yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so then, um, flashing forward a little bit in looking for the new location for Cyrus, uh, talk a little bit about what what the vision was uh, for the new Cyrus because it's it's pretty incredible and yeah, uh, you know what sounded amazing. What what, what you were looking to to put together? Yeah, um, 
so when we closed Cyrus, or right while we were closing it, um, I was approached by a few people and said, you know, we want to help you reopen this. And I wasn't sure I wanted to do it. We had gone through a nasty lawsuit um, with Foley, with the landlord, and it was exhausting. Um, and the, the benefits of a successful Cyrus were okay, but they weren't, you know, for the, for the work, you're like, okay, we did this, you know? So, so interesting. I had coffee with, um, Barbara Banky from Jackson family wine. She asked me for coffee. I think it was a couple months after we closed it. Um, and she said she offered whatever help she could offer to, um, help us reopen it. And it was a really t- touching me. We met at uh, flying goat in Healdsburg and, and she said it was really important for Sonoma County to have that type of restaurant, to have us here, and I, she really hoped we would reopen it. And it was, um, you know, it was someone having faith in me that I actually didn't have in myself at that point. And, and, and it inspired me to be like, I really do want to do this. In the meantime, and she wasn't offering to back. She was just offering her assistance, whatever she could do in the family. And, and I've had a great relationship with them. They've been amazingly supportive. Um, at the same time, um, we had, we had met a gentleman by the name of Sean Parker, who um, had been a fan of Cyrus. And he'd come in a few times and he'd kind of, kind of courted us to do it Napster uh, guy yeah exactly Napster Facebook originally mm-hmm. um, oh, yeah. he's got mm-hmm. a uh, Spotify mm-hmm. yes you guys plug, plug Spotify <laughs> love Spotify good friend <laughs> um, and uh, he had pulled me aside and said you know I want to create the world's greatest restaurant floating above the vines and I don't understand you know why doesn't someone give you all this money to do this? And I said, well, it's stupid because we can't pay that back. <laughs> and uh, he was ha- we were having dinner, he was having dinner at Cyrus at one point and we were having this great, you know, he was, he was amazing. He was very exciting. And he said, I, I, he was just a big fan of ours. He goes, I hate this building. I hate this space. But I think, I was like, well, okay. You know, didn't think it was ever going to happen. But lo and behold, we, we figured it out. Um, and he wanted to float it above the vines. It's the big thing. He wanted to be on the hill. So, Barbara gave us a couple options of properties and uh, actually to answer your question better is he said, uh, what would you do if money wasn't an option to create your perfect restaurant? I said, well, I would like to create a journey. I would like to create a room, uh, 12 people at a time would move through different rooms. But in his, his thing was, I want, I don't want it so crazy that it's not hospitality related. I want people to always feel comfortable. I said, I would take them through the visions of Cyrus that we had or the version of Cyrus where they had the canapes, the sweet, sour, salt, bitter mommy canapes, and then I would move them to a second. So that would be the champagne room, the bubbles. They would look out over the vineyards, and they would have this amazing view. They would have bites like they walked into your home, and it was a cocktail party. They didn't really know the dinner started, but it did. Mm -hmm. And it was 12 people at a time. Whether they knew each other or not didn't matter. It could have been 12, or it could have been six deuces, six two tops. But it was very casual. And then they would move into another room that would have been a rammed earth cylinder, and it would have been the simplest architecture, but it would also been the simplest food where we would cook from the sea and from the land. And we would minimally cook it. And it would be like, yes, there'd be a lot of raw stuff, but it would also be lightly steamed. But we would also cook in front of you. And mm-hmm. so that you could have that interaction with the, with the guests and the chefs, which I think has been, become pretty important for people. Mm-hmm. Then we move into a dining room, which would be a little bit more comfortable or more familiar actually mm-hmm. is what I would say where and we call it like the entree or the red wine room we'd serve you your app your uh, your your main courses there and then we would um, instead of doing a caviar uh, the chocolate cart that we had or the candy cart that we had at Cyrus I would bring you into a chocolate room so you would walk in and there'd be flowing walls of chocolate and to bring you back to the beginning of the journey 
you would get five bites that would flow out of the walls, and it would be sweet, sour, salt, bitter, and umami to mirror the canapes. And Sean loved it. Sean's like, this is incredible. I want to do this. How could you not love that? I mean, come yeah. on. That's amazing. Yeah, it would have been, <laughs> been fun. Yeah. Um, so we embarked on finding the perfect site, and eventually we settled on a um, – the design was really important to Sean. And uh, he didn't want anyone to tell us what we could and couldn't do. And uh, he also wanted to be on a hill. So <laughs> I found the only space in Sonoma County that you could build unrestricted on a hill overlooking vineyards. Mm. And I cut a deal with the tribe, uh, uh, the, uh, the rent, uh, Dry Creek Rancheria, Band of Pomo Indians, the River Rock uh, Casino guys mm -hmm. who were phenomenal. We cut a deal for their 13 acres um, that was a separate entrance, separate exit, all on the hill overlooking Sonoma County, Alexander Valley. And mm -hmm. we cut a 50-year deal with them, and uh, we were ready to build. We had the most amazing architect in the world, uh, Tom Kundig, uh, out of Olson Kundig in Seattle, and he designed this vision. Sean was very hands-on in the design. Uh, he was, that was really important to him. And uh, we were ready to go last year, and then just fell apart. Bummer. Yeah. It's a lot of trials and tribulations, it seems like, you kind of went through with bringing it back. It was six years of um, finding the right site, finding the right design, the right architect, and um, getting it all happened. And so we, when the stars aligned that we finally had it happened, it was so close, mm -hmm. so close. And we'd also um, wanted to reestablish the kind of staffing model. Mm -hmm. And so it's a, it's a, I think I mentioned this a while back about the staffing model in the hospitality industry is just broken. Yeah. Uh, people don't make a lot of money at the lower end of it, and uh, we were going to pay everyone $75,000, give them five days and four days of work weeks, and we were going to train the front and the back. The front and the back were basically going to be the same thing, minus a few management people. So we're going to so instead of having to leave after a year like most cooks do, you're going to be able to work for a career, mm -hmm. and we we're going to kind of incentivize people to do that. And um, that was that. That was going to be the game changer, um, and it was easy to do because it was a small staff. Instead of you know at Cyrus, we the original we did eighty five people a night for dinner. We had about fifty to fifty five employees. At this place, we we're going to have fifteen to twenty max. Wow! You know? And so we were able to manage it and pay them really well and, and create a healthy environment. But yeah, so I'm exhausted from doing it <laughs> from, from six years of it. So that's kind of why I, I pulled the plug on it. Uh, are there elements of it that you can sort of keep with you or or did that project have to exist in the way it existed or are there elements that you can bring in the future i mean is that something you're even thinking about a little pop-up maybe you know yeah no um it's a great question um it's i don't know it's tough to know when you dream that big and you're that close to it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm it's tough to kind of let it down and say, okay, I'm going to settle for this. Yeah. That sounds a little spoiled. Um, but it's also like, I know what's possible. Mm -hmm. I know what we could do. It, 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 the frustrating part is there's no reason that building didn't happen. Mm -hmm. Right. I was never given a budget. I would have made any budget work that I could have. So, the fact that it didn't get built just doesn't make sense to me to this day. So mm -hmm. that's the frustrating part. Um, could I make it work somewhere? Yeah, I, I could make it work somewhere. If someone wanted to do it again, I, I, yeah, but I'd make sure they were legit. Make sure they weren't just smoking smoking the crack pipe. You know? <laughs> now, that, moving over to your current projects, uh, it, it sort of reflects 
a change in mindset for you. Uh, you sort of alluded to it earlier. It's kind of finding a joy in just feeding people. And you have that with Hiltzberg Barn Grill and Roadhouse 29. So um, let's talk a little bit about Roadhouse 29 sure. and, uh, and what you're doing there. Yeah, we, um, you know, the location is interesting. It's, it's in between St. Helena and Calistoga. It's the most beautiful building I think I've ever had the luxury of having a restaurant in. The architecture is incredible. The campus is incredible. The Fremark Abbey Winery is incredible. Um, and Jackson Family owns it. Obviously, I've mentioned them before. That They've been amazing partners. Um, we had Two Birds, One Stone in it before, which was, uh, you know, food that was I guess closer to my training, um, closer to what I like to eat, but I realized that the space is so big and so grand that it needed a lot of people in it. Mm -hmm. And it had to have a concept where there was a lot of energy. So we rethought the concept. We also rethought the staffing issues that exist up in that, in the Valley or exist in all of uh, wine country. Um, and we came up with the concept of Roadhouse 29 where we could produce really good straight up food at a really great price and pay people a really good wage, get rid of tipping, um, make sure the back of the house. So it's a $25 an hour is what people make in there. And uh, we've had very little turnover since we've opened. Really good response. Um, it's been a lot of fun. And, and, yeah, and you know, I met a couple last night from South Africa. And wow. They happened to walk into it. They were at our last table at, like, 8 o'clock. Only people in this huge restaurant. <laughs> and they were just having a blast. And they're, and they're like, why aren't you busy tonight? I'm like, well, it's Monday. <laughs> and it's late. Um, but it doesn't matter. You, we're happy to have you. And that was kind of fun. And they were surprised I was there, uh, which was the funniest part. Like, I can't believe you're here. <laughs> the I'm chef like, is here. What? <laughs> yeah. Isn't that, isn't that kind of funny? Uh -huh. like, why is it weird when the chef's at the restaurant? You yeah, know? you're like, this is my place. Yeah. This is what I do. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, to some extent, it, it's it's relaxed atmosphere, but also you take reservations for parties that feel like the you know that you want to have the status or you know the security of having a table reserved. Yeah. Uh, how does that work for people coming to the restaurant? Well, it's such a big place that you don't need a reservation, but there's certain people that. You know, if you're going out for a birthday or an anniversary or a celebration, you kind of want to know you have a table. Mm -hmm. So we just take reservations. You can do an open table or you can do it. You can call us and you're not going to not get a table. Uh, yes, we've turned a few people away, but we also have a big bar. So <laughs> it's a big, big restaurant. Just come on in. And then you're also bringing in music to kind of bring a crowd in as well, right? So yeah. how did that program start? I'm I'm just a huge fan of music, of Perfect. live music, awesome. um, uh, of people playing instruments. Um, so we wanted to create that energy with it. We wanted to like we we had we've had quiet restaurants before. We didn't want a quiet restaurant anymore. We wanted energy and, and electricity and people having fun. And so we said, you know, there's not. A, I mean, there is live music up here, but. We've never done it before, so we're like, we're going to bring in live music once a week and just create a following. And so we've had a lot of fun booking some local bands and having people come up. And it's, I love it. It's my favorite night. Friday, every Friday night. We might switch it to Thursday next year, but it's still every Friday night for this year. Okay. Why switching it to Thursday? A lot of people want to have rehearsal dinners. Yes, they on do. On Friday, yeah, they want to give true. speeches. That's the truth. <laughs> mm -hmm. And yep. you have to time the speeches. To not have the bank. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so that's actually the reason. And okay. Makes so, sense. Yeah. And so I try to think, what, what, would I not go on Thursday versus Friday now? So let's let's move that to Thursday. Cool. Okay. I'm not getting rid of the bands. Nice. I love that. Yeah. Thursday night, people still want to go out. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Do you find that people dining out, that there's a trend more to just 
kind of going out and having fun in a, a super casual atmosphere than the more, you know, the full on six course, uh, more formal meal that um, there's more, you know, just going out and hanging out on a Friday night. Six courses, so 2010. <laughs> it's, it's 18 courses now, Come Mike. Come on, Mike. Jeez. you got to be there for three whole hours. Seriously. Um, I think you, you, what, what I have been witnessing is, you know, I didn't, with the Cyrus that I was trying to recreate, the interesting thing is I could see the trend kind of switching from people wanting to sit for a full tasting menu for four hours at the same table. And so when I was in Japan... Hmm. At these Kaiseki restaurants, I noticed that they would talk about the other rooms in the this 200-year-old house that um, had different pieces of art or whatever. and But you couldn't see them because someone else had rented them for the night. And I decided, well, wow, well, what if you could move people through it and keep their, their attention span? All of our attention spans have changed since we can delete everything or move back to the next site or click out of this. And so that was the concept. Um, so, yeah, I've seen that for a while. Um, I also think that something that's come into play is at the high end, it's so expensive. And there is definitely a very rich population that can afford that, and then there's not. And it's a big population. So I think people are kind of like, I just can't afford that. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to go do that. So I'm going to go to a place and, and do something else. So yeah, I do think there's a big market for it. Fine dining has always had this death spiral in the food writing. People have talked about it. Oh, it's going out. No one's going to have white tablecloths. No, it's always going to exist. It is, and it should. Um, but yeah, there's times, and right now I think there are times where there's such only a small few that can afford it. And the experiences I think that people are looking for, it's like you constantly have to surprise them and have those Instagrammable moments mm -hmm. and just kind of you know, um, be ever evolving to yeah. keep up with the times, which are just moving faster and faster. Yep. Yep. Everyone wants a new uh, rush or a mm -hmm. new experience or the hottest next thing. And that's okay. Yeah. That's what it is. Now you were, um, uh, top chef masters <laughs> quite a while back now, like ancient, <laughs> ancient. <laughs> but I know over time that your mindset's kind of changed. Mike listens to the eighties on eights. <laughs> 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 My number one preset. Thank That's you. right. Mike. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I, I know over time that your mindset's kind of changed as to sort of the celebrity chef culture and how that affected, you know, restaurants and cooking. And I was just curious sort of your mindset about uh, how that's evolved over the years. It's interesting to me that the, the, the obsession with celebrity in America, maybe the world, but I only know this country, is... So much so that we, we, we keep finding the new celebrity. And then chefs have become, for about mm -hmm. 10 or so years plus, chefs have become the celebrity. And some of it's warranted. I mean, you know, um, Jose Andreas feeding, feeding all the people that he feeds, mm -hmm. he deserves all the leverage he has. Um, God bless him. But, you know, uh, some of us that just make dinner, um, yes, we have opinions, but is it really warranted? I don't know. Uh, it, it just, to me, has been the power that have been given to chefs. And, you know, you, there's Jose Andres on one side, and there's Mario Batali on the other side. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. both of them made risotto really well, right? <laughs> so do I. Um, one of them grabbed a bunch of ass and uh, sexually assaulted people and did horrible things um, and made a lot of money. The other guy's feeding 
homeless people and people that have gone through. So, uh, yes, there's good and bad on it, but it, I, I think you have to be really careful. Um, you know, if, if we're not careful, there'll be some celebrity guy in the White House at some point who doesn't know how to do what he's doing, you know, so. I, I think in some ways that it, it goes back to the people in the restaurant being shocked that the chef was there. I think the mm-hmm. idea of the chef probably has, yeah. you know, grown beyond the restaurant itself. You You connect them with the restaurant, but actually seeing them there becomes a shock. Like, what, they're, they're cooking? What? They, yeah. They, and I think, so. I mean, part of that happens is there's just not a ton of money in restaurants. Like, even even the really successful ones, the, the profit margin is not what normal business. So chefs are like, okay, I'm working, I'm working really hard. I'm doing this, and so I'm going to branch off and do something else. I get it, you know. Um, but, yeah, it shouldn't be surprising to see a chef cooking, you know? <laughs> it just shouldn't. I mean, that, yeah, that, I think you kind of summed it up, actually. And shifting just a little bit, uh, you are involved with Green Dog Rescue, Rescue yeah. quite a bit. Please. I know that's a big passion yeah, project for you. Yes. How'd you get involved there? Um, Lael, my wife and I, we have a small property in Heels, uh, outside of Healdsburg, Healdsburg technically in Alexander Valley, and we said at some point we want to have kind of a dog rescue, and I, mm. I was like, well, I should be able to train dogs if we're going to have a dog rescue. So I... So I got certified as a dog trainer and part of it was to volunteer at um a shelter or whatever so i was working at healdsburg animal shelter uh trying to finish my certification and um i realized that um there was an issue with the old school mentality of shelters where we were locking dogs up in cages and, mm-hmm. and they weren't getting better mm-hmm. um we would take them they, they get dumped off because either they're behavioral or someone got tired of the big puppy and then all of a sudden they're in solitary confinement and they couldn't get along with anybody or any other animal. And, and then we were killing them. And, it's, and I didn't understand it. But then when I went down and I met Colleen, um, who was at um, Colleen Combs, who was at Green Dog, or at the time it was King's Castle, or it still is King's Castle. Sorry, that's her business. Um, she was rehabbing these types of dogs. And, she, and, and, and I took a couple dogs to her and uh, literally in like minutes, like these dogs that couldn't be by any other dogs, they were in the middle of a pack hanging out with dogs and, mm-hmm. and it just kind of clicked. And, and Colleen and I kind of bonded and there was a few dogs that I was really fighting for that I was uh, trying to get out of Healdsburg and um, Colleen said, I've always wanted to do a nonprofit. And I said, well, let me help you. I, I think I can help you raise money and awareness. And so we, but um, it was basically like three or four of us in the beginning. And then the the best thing that came of that TV show was be that Green Dog got all this exposure and a decent amount of cash. Um, but we went from four volunteers to like 100, 150. And wow. she's at this point, I mean, I don't do as much as I used to. Um, she does all the work and she has a huge team and it's a lot of amazing people. I help them raise money and do a benefit every year. Um, I wish I was more involved, but um, I still believe her very strongly in it. I think she's got over 600 dogs saved at this point. That's amazing. Yeah, it is. How many dogs do you have? Um, five. Whoa. Yeah, five dogs, um, three goats. <laughs> Two sheep, two pigs, and three chickens, and two horses. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, we do. All of them are pretty fun. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Yeah, I love that you guys um, did that because I mean, animals are just so sweet. You know, they yeah. just add so much, such a good element to your life. They do. They they don't lie. They're very unconditional. There's nothing fake about them. Mm-hmm. So you can come home from the worst day, and I sit down with uh, Bettina and Cosette, the pigs, and. 
we just talk. They, mm-hmm. they, they oink back and then, you know, and, and, and there's just a, a release that happens and it's just, it's in the moment. It's real. Mm-hmm. There's nothing fake about it. Mm-hmm. They don't give a shit if I was on uh, Top Chef <laughs> Masters or not. <laughs> they were watching along. What? Yeah. yeah. They weren't even around then. <laughs> no, we close a very specific way on this show mm. with a very specific question. Well, so we like to ask, um, on a good day, if you go home, when, what would you pair with music, wine, and food? So what would be like the food you eat, the wine or cocktail that you drink, and uh, the music that you put on? I would put on um, Colin Hayes, Waiting for My Real Life to Begin. I would drink... either extremely expensive <laughs> French champagne mm. or cheap cold beer. <laughs> and I would eat, uh, right now it would just be tomatoes right out of the garden mm. mm-hmm. with salt. And uh, I'd, I'd, pull, I'd, I'd go back to Alice Waters and pay her a little respect since I dissed her earlier. <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is that an answer? Yeah, that's amazing. Nicely yeah. done. <laughs> Excellent. Well, the, the, the restaurants, uh, Roadhouse 29... Healdsburg Bar and Grill, check them out. Go visit them. Some amazing food and good times. And Chef Douglas Keene, thanks so much for taking the time. My pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me.